Hey guys, what's up? I'm Shama. And I'm Tiffany, and you're listening to Chai Tea Party. This is a podcast about the underdogs, the brave, the creative, and the slightly off in the Desi community. episode we have Anish Patel, the founder of Uplift Humanity India, which is a nonprofit organization that operates rehabilitation programs throughout India to educate juveniles and orphans in life skills and technology training. They are headquartered in New Jersey with programs in Delhi, Lindore, well oh shit. Indore and Hyderabad. Um, founded in 2010. Anish, thank you so much for coming on the show. Welcome, Anish. Thank you so much for having me. You guys are amazing. <laughs> You're amazing. Sorry, I totally just butchered your intro, but we're here now, so. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> <laughs> so um, give us a little bit of background on you growing up. So did you, I know you're in New Jersey now. Were you born and raised in New Jersey as well? So now I live in New York, actually. So I was born okay. and raised in a small white town. <laughs> um, uh, called Bassing Ridge in New Jersey. It's in Central Jersey. Um, so I went, you know, to all my elementary, middle, and high school there. And then I moved over to New York. I applied to NYU Stern because um, mm-hmm. I wanted to be in a big city. I wanted to do business. Um, so I applied to NYU, and then I've been there for about there for four years. I graduated last year, and now I'm done with college. Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. So um, is Uplift Humanity now like your full-time gig it's not my full-time gig sometimes i think it's my full-time gig but it's it's a part-time thing um <laughs> but there's just so much going on and it gets bigger and bigger every day and every month mm-hmm. um that it becomes more and more of a full-time but we have so many amazing people who work with us um mm-hmm. that make it sound like a, a, like a seamless experience that's awesome so well backtracking a little bit something we like to always ask people that come on the show uh, because I, I i also grew up in a very white town and okay. so learning about your identity is a really strange space to navigate just because, like, you don't have those people surrounding you all the time. So when did yeah. you kind of realize that – did you always know that you were a person of color or, like, your heritage was different than everybody else's? Or what was that like growing up in such a white area? Um, so I think my parents were, like, are very, very – they're the typical Indian parents that you would imagine. From, um, I always had those, like, strong Indian principles surrounded by me. So even though we grew up in a, in a Caucasian-based town – um, I still was living very much in the Indian household. So all those things that you would that kind of you would think about in an Indian household, I kind of experienced and went through as well when it comes like to going out and staying in and doing homework. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Did you 
have that experience where you got to college and it, then it was like, oh, there are these other people that look like me and are like-minded and we all seem to get along really well for some reason? Well, yeah. So I think I think in, in, in high school, naturally I had a very diverse friend group. And then when I went to New York, for, when I went to NYU, my, my friend group skewed very much to being South Asian. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure why that happened naturally because I was lacking that when I was um, growing up in high school or perhaps I just, like, you know, found my, my, my great group of friends. Um, but when I went to New York, when I went to NYU, um, my friend group, you know, dynamic completely changed. And I think I just loved, I loved college. I loved, loved NYU, loved every single oh, year. That's so cool. So um, how old were you then when Uplift Community started? Or when you started? So I started, I started Uplift now, damn, seven years ago. Um, when I was a sophomore in high school was when I first started thinking about this sort of idea of rehabilitating kids who are behind bars. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what's so interesting about it is that I didn't know I was starting a nonprofit or starting an organization. I was mm-hmm. just thinking of an idea and a, and a one-time summer program, and things just started naturally happening and falling into place. Now, seven years down, there's multiple, multiple locations running and multiple things going on every day with it. So this started because of a trip that you took to India, correct? Yeah. So, like I said, my parents were very Indian, so I I would make, I would go to India like once or twice a year. Oh, wow. um, so there were times when I was just there, sitting in my home, getting sick probably uh, in India, and <laughs> <laughs> and one time I thought, wait, you know, if I'm going to be coming here every summer or every winter, why not actually do something while I'm here? Mm-hmm. And it was that very sort of natural thought. Um, that led to what is today Uplift Humanity. That's awesome. So um, I, I, there's one thing that I like to touch on because I was reading an article about the organization and you had mentioned in this article that like the the whole process of which you guys were formed and you became like successful in your own ter- like right, that um, it was a lot of failure that happened with that. So I love when yeah. people say that. I like. I think that's a very real thing whenever you're doing anything. So can you elaborate on kind of what that was like and what kind of things that you ran into, what issues? Yeah, so when people always talk about failure, I'm like, oh, this is just so cliche. But <laughs> as I experienced through Uplift, I truly believe that all these failures have made us stronger as, as an organization. And the reason I say that was, for me personally, all these failures were just a huge challenge. I mean, when I started this, I was, I was a sophomore in high school. And so doing anything when you're that young, it's so hard to gain credibility, right? Mm-hmm. From anyone to get yeah. volunteers to apply, to get fundraising, to get teachers to work for you, to get anyone to actually even work for you, right? Yeah. So I think that every time someone said no to me, in the beginning, it was like, damn, this isn't going to work because there's so many hurdles. And now, seven years later, every time you know a celebrity says no to us or a corporation says no to us, it makes us stronger. We learn from why they said no and really helps us be introspective about it. And then we grow and we become stronger. And every single every single decision that we make and every single person we meet changes the dynamic of the organization and where we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think you know it's it's hard. And when you're first starting out in that first year, like we're an organization I work with right now, we're running to that same issue that it's the first year and people don't want to, you know, put the risk or like the the money attached to it, so that if we fail, they're kind of going down with us. But well, it's hard same, to get I mean, that validation, you know? Exactly. I mean, even today, right? Mm-hmm. I'm still only 23. Right. Um, so even now, even though it's seven years later and we've been operating for seven years, 
when when someone in India sees me as the head and the face of the organization, there's still some like, wait, this kid is way too young to be running a nonprofit, right? Right. I think I think that's a challenge that I struggle to encounter every day, and even in America as well, right? I mean, mm-hmm. now as we're getting larger, we're looking to get corporate donors. And as we get corporate donors, when when the fundraising team is saying, oh, like you know, who's the face of the organization? They see someone that's 23. It's like, wait, do we want to allocate our funds to a nonprofit whose owner is 23, <laughs> right. or someone whose nonprofit is owned by someone who's 45 or 50 years old? Yeah, and, and it's I silly think- that 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 is what validates you and your experience and like how good you are at your job. You know, age is is arbitrary. Like it, that doesn't matter in the end. You know. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's just that's our story, right? I mean, yeah. our entire uplift is so different. The reason I really believe we're so successful is because our team. You know, ranges from people who are 50 years old mm-hmm. all the way to people who are about 16 to 17 years old because we really try to find talent and individuals who are in high school to join our organization and grow with us and grow with the organization. Right. And so how originally, how did how are you getting people to volunteer? Because initially when you guys are doing these trips to India, they're fronting the money to go. Like they're essentially paying to go on these trips to help out. So- exactly. So again, that was one of my biggest challenges in the first year and even the second year where it was, you know, we didn't have a compelling past, right? We just started, and I said, hey, and at that time I was 16 years old, and I had this crazy idea where I was like, hey, guys, let's all go to a jail in India. <laughs> and everyone, everyone looked at me like, oh, like, you're a freak because this is a ridiculous idea, right? <laughs> right. Um, so to even get volunteers to do that, that's one story. But to even to get a teacher to chaperone the trip, like, mm-hmm. as a teacher, I don't know if you're, you know, she was the teacher that we had seven years ago and I, I came to her and I was like, Hey, I have this idea of going there. And she looked at me like I was a crazy person. Um, <laughs> and I think, and that's, and, 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 and because people would say to me, you know, when like, what you're trying to do is just so different. You know, why don't you just work with kids who, you know, who are on the streets or mm-hmm. with education or with food or with the water crisis. Right. And I was like, because people are already doing that. The reason I want to do this is because it hasn't been done and it needs to be done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think that was, and, and I think when I started to push for that, but to, sorry, to get to your question about how did I first start to get volunteers, it was a lot of, it, a lot of it was natural. It was a lot of like, you know, the first year was friends and family friends and their friends and, 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 and a lot of it was social media and calling people and putting it on local newspapers. And I think it was just very organic and a lot of social media helped and, and somehow I was able to convince 15 people to come to India on this trip. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, yeah. That's a lot of people for... Well, I created this website because in my head I was like, you know what? What do I need? How do I establish credibility? And I was like, all right, I need a website. So I got this website done. Um, and I, need, I was like, the two things I needed was I need a website and I need a chaperone because I can't, you know, 15 people's parents will not travel, <laughs> let their children travel 8,000 miles away just with a 16 year old right. they need to be some sort of you know face of the organization that's older than me yeah. so i was like all right i need a chaperone that's a teacher so as I, I try to kind of look at the ingredients of what i needed in order to run that first trip but again when i ran that first trip i didn't know it was a non-profit organization i was creating i was just like let's just do this one trip to india this summer yeah. and we'll make it a we'll make it an experience um and then as when we got there we sort of realize the intricacies of how challenging their lives actually are mm-hmm. and how this one trip is not going to do anything or really do any justice for us and for the kids. Right. And I think it's that, and it's that compelling story that one by one we started to get larger and larger and more involved. 
Yeah, and there's uh, there's definitely like a learning curve, right? So you, when you're going into it, you don't really know what you're getting into or like the realities of what you're getting into. And so it does take time to adjust, but that's cool that you kind of saw the need for it and kept with it. What was that first? So when you're when you guys first get there and you're you're meeting your first group of people, how did that go? So that that's a great question. So every year we experience the same thing. And the first year again it comes back to failure, which you keep bringing up. What happened was um, we all went, you know, it was 15 of us that I convinced to go. And in my head, I was like, wait, as you know, as I was boarding the flight, I was like, wait, what if this doesn't work? I just mm-hmm. made 15 people pay thousands <laughs> of dollars to travel to India. And what if when we get to the facility, things just don't end up working? What if everyone gets sick? Or what if the juveniles don't listen? Or mm-hmm. what if, you know, what if something, you know, something will go wrong? Because how do I know that things will work out? I didn't have a team in India then. Right. Um, it was just me, my teacher. And there's 15 kids going to India, and we had called this facility when I was the, the year before saying, hey, we're going to come in for 10 days, and we're gonna these NRIs will teach you, and they all got excited. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, when, when we went, the first time we all sat down, and the first line in our curriculum is, hi, you know, you say your name. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the instructions for the volunteers in our curriculum. It says, hi, say your name and introduce yourself. Say you're with Uplift Humanity, and you're going to be teaching you know, you guys for two weeks. And mm-hmm. the second we said that, people started to laugh at us. These juveniles started to laugh at us. They started to mock us. And it got worse and worse where they were, they weren't they weren't just not listening to us. They started to mimic us and mock us and they became really rude. Mm-hmm. And in my head, I was like, crap, there's two more weeks of this and this isn't going to work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, day one went like that. Day two slowly went like that. But then as the days progressed, they started to break down their barriers and we create these compelling relationships with them. And what I, what we realized, what we recognized after we did all these analyses is that the reason that, and this happens every year now. So mm-hmm. we know year after year, we tell our volunteers, day one will be horrible. They will laugh at you, they will mimic you, they will mock you because what ends up happening with this sector of the population is that they're just so neglected. Right. And what happens is when they get that attention, they don't know what to do with it. They don't, they don't appreciate it. They don't value it, and they and they're hesitant to accept that that attention because they know that so that no one the society has rejected them, right? So when when we go up to them, they don't really believe that we're there for them because they know that they're gonna we're gonna leave soon, and that we don't really they they in their head. So it's about breaking down that barrier. Day one for us is breaking the barrier and just getting in the same wavelength and and, and vibe with them. Mm-hmm. So. What, how do you guys, well, the first thing is um, when you guys are, when you're approaching these uh, these facilities and you're saying, like, we're going to come in and talk to people, do they ever ask, like, how you're qualified to do something like that? So that, I mean, so, so year after year what I've learned is that is, one of, that is one of the hardest things for us is to get facilities to say yes to us. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it seemed really easy when I said, you know, when I said, oh, we're, you know, when I, when I said about a few minutes ago, I said, oh, we called and we said, you know, we're going to come in with these NRIs, but it's actually much more challenging than that. And that's actually <laughs> yeah. one of our, it's actually one of the hardest things is to work with Indian politicians and Indian, um, to work through all these bureaucracies in India. It's just, it's just one of our biggest challenges. And for us, it's a big challenge for two reasons. Mm-hmm. One is that we're an American organization, so we have to follow American laws and we can't be shady like the other organizations in India. Right. Um, and, and number two is, our entire, our entire, 
leadership team is really young. You know, we mm-hmm. have young faces. We empower youth. We empower girls that are, you know, so for, and, and for, for example, for me to sit across a 50 year old man who, who runs this juvenile facility, what the first thing they say to us is what will we get out of it? And, right. I, and, I, I'm, and in my head, we're like, we just told you we're giving you a free education. What else would you want? <laughs> right. You know, like, what do you mean? Like, why, how, I don't understand the question. Like, we just told you that we're giving mm-hmm. you free education. We're bringing American kids 8,000 miles away. And throughout the entire year, we're going to teach your kids. But they're like, yes, but what will I get? <laughs> and I think it's and it's just this bizarre mindset about, you know, how do we compel and convince these juvenile facilities that how do we align our principles with theirs? So to answer your mm-hmm. question about how easy is it to partner up these facilities, it's very challenging because we have to follow American rules, American laws, and we, and we have to somehow convince them that, hey, we're on the same page as you. We're trying to achieve the same goal. But in many times we recognize and realize that their goals are not for the betterment of their kids. Um, and right. it's about, you know, we're, we're educating, you know, sometimes we always joke and we say, really educating two sectors of the population. One is the juvenile kids, and the second is the juvenile directors. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, because that's, that's the, I guess, that culture in India where, you know, what's the payoff, the, quite literally, like, what is the payoff going to be for these people in these positions? Exactly. And that's exactly. a really difficult, that's so hard because, you know, we come from a place of structure, you know, mostly structure, where there's, like, certain rules and, like, there's not as much, well, I don't know about that. I was going to say not as much corruption, but I don't know about that anymore. Um, so that's always difficult because it's like they just, they're, they operate completely differently than, than U.S. companies do. Exactly. I mean, it's so challenging because and then when they also see American faces and, and American accents, even though we have, we're, we're speaking the local languages, they know we're not from there, and, and, mm-hmm. and they see like a dollar sign when they're talking to us, right. as if we have a limited funds to spend on them. And we're like, hey, we're a nonprofit. We're working on tight budgets. Mm-hmm. We're not, we don't have the money to do whatever you're asking us to do or to give you whatever donations you need for your facility. We're here to educate. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And appreciate that because that enough that, that itself is a challenge for us to, to do. Um, yeah. So when you guys are going in, and I guess this is this is backtracking in a little bit, but when you guys are first going into these facilities, is it a lot of you say juvenile? Like, what's the age range? Is it a lot of like peer mentoring then when you're bringing over high school students or college level students? What's the age that your um, your audience is? Yeah. So. So Uplift, uh, we expanded from just juveniles to now orphans as well. Mm-hmm. And and the reason is, you know, we, we expanded our scope to now just not work with juveniles, but we call it an at-risk population. Okay. And Uplift defines these kids as at risk because the orphans, for example, in India are are kids who are on the streets who have no parents. And what, that, what ends up happening when you're on the streets without any parents, without any guidance and mentorship, is that you're there for days and you're there for five days, you're there for six days, your parents leave you, and you're there for a few more days, and then you get hungry. And mm-hmm. you see someone who has a, a has a cart, you know, with apples, for example. Mm-hmm. And and the guy walks away from the cart, and you're like, wait, I'm so hungry. Let me just really take this apple and run. And that's where that and that's where that behavior of juvenile juvenile behavior begins. And so before these orphans even begin to go into a negative track or a downward spiral, um, we try to take them and educate them so that they don't ever have to go into that spiral of juvenile recidivism mm-hmm. where they become convicted juveniles. 
Um, the age group is is between 12 to 18. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's very much peer mentoring. What Uplift is very different in that our curriculum is very different than most organizations. It's very hands-on. It's very cross-cultural. Um, and it really empowers youth to empower youth. Um, mm-hmm. Our mission is to is to enable youth here in the U.S., um, both Indians and non-Indians now we work with, who, who travel with us to, to India, is to help them understand that they have the most powerful tool or have the, and have the, have the ability and the power to empower these kids more than teachers would. Because these juveniles and orphans don't really want to listen to teachers and people who are, who are adults in India. But when they see fresh faces like us, they have a reason to, to listen to us because it's more peer-to-peer. It's like a friend telling your friend. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening is that we realize that we have more in common than you would think. And I think that's what enables both our American volunteers and our students in India to have such compelling relationships. Yeah, absolutely. What does the prep before you guys take these trips, what does that look like? There's actually little to no prep. I mean, nice. for, the, for the volunteers, <laughs> us, we're working endless, endless hours to make sure that nothing, nothing screws up. <laughs> right. Do you guys uh, um, vet, vet your applicants at all, or is it just kind of like if you're willing to come, like, join us? Oh, so in terms of for the application process, so essentially now we're receiving hundreds of applications around the U.S. for all of our locations. Um, So there's an application process. The application pool opens in usually October, Mm -hmm. and then we close in mid-January. And this year we also had an ED round, an early decision round, Mm -hmm. and a regular decision round because we wanted to segment our population because we wanted to make sure that you know people who know in advance they want to volunteer should get more preferred application treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, so people apply until January, then we take two weeks to decide, you know, who are the most qualified applicants. We let applicants know that they're accepted. And then in about April, we have an orientation where we tell them about what's going on in terms of housing and food and sanitation and travel. Um, but other than that, we don't really teach our kids actual, any on-site training here in the U.S. We don't really tell them, we don't give them a curriculum until we're in India. Mm-hmm. So when our, when our kids land in India... They undergo a three-day rigorous program, where we call train the trainers, and that's where we give them the curriculum. We show them how to teach, how to become tutors and teachers, and we tell them, you know, how to behave with, you know, this sector of the population, mm-hmm. um, what to say, what not to say. Oh, very cool. Mm-hmm. So, um, can you give us like an example of one of the, the um, what's what's the, something that you guys do with when you're peer mentoring? Like, what's a an exercise or what does a talk look like when it's one-on-one with a group? Yeah, I mean, so to give you an understanding of our curriculum, our first curriculum that we establish um, uh, is a life skills curriculum. So what we what we like to do before we go ahead and teach English, reading, writing, or math, we recognize that, hey, they need to first understand how to be good people. Mm-hmm. Because when they're on the streets by themselves, they turn to, they conform to peer pressure and you know, low self-esteem, and they commit, and they, and they do wrong things. So before we go ahead and actually do teach them any sort of literacy, our first curriculum, which is what we teach in the summer, is about life skills. So self-esteem development is one is one lesson. Mm-hmm. You know, how to deal with peer pressure, how to deal with anger management. Um, those are the core skills that we teach. And then within within the actual lesson, it's very hands-on. So we'll, you know, we'll leverage balloons and colors and posters and markers and make these compelling sort of um, experiences that kids are learning about self-esteem concepts 
without even knowing that they're learning is what we try to do. Oh, okay. Very cool. Yeah. Is there a moment that stands out that it kind of clicked for you? Like, okay, we could do this. This is actually really working for us. The aha moment where we realize that mm-hmm. the money's working. Um, let me think. I think that that happened um, the last day, the last day of the first year's program. So now seven years ago. Um, what ended up happening was it was our last day. It was a Friday, um, and it was raining like crazy because it was the monsoon season in Gujarat. So mm-hmm. crazy rain, really, really, really hot, and we're all like, all right, tomorrow we're leaving. We go into the facility their last day and what ends up happening is that everyone is crying not just the juveniles and orphans not just the students but also every single volunteer is crying and i think that's when we realized that we went through an emotional journey an emotional roller coaster where in the beginning there was so much has it you know it, it was they were mocking us and ridiculing us and at the end of the and end of the 18 day program everyone was crying and that's when we kind of recognized oh, this peer-to-peer mentorship is working. Mm-hmm. And it drove home further when we when we started giving these exams to our kids, where we would ask them about situational analyses questions, about, hey, you're on the street, and you do this, and this happens to you. What do you do, right? Mm-hmm. And we started quizzing them and testing them the last day to understand, hey, did our curriculum, did our lessons work? And I think the emotional journey, as well as the result of our tests, showed to us that this experience and this sort of method of teaching was really impactful. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's two ways to think about it, right? I mean, most organizations would just spend, you know, would, would take funds, hire a teacher, and then teach in a classroom. Mm-hmm. What we're doing is a much more expensive sort of experience where people are spending, you know, a few thousand dollars to travel to India to live there and then teach that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but we believe that the way that we're working and the way that we're teaching these kids is, is just very, very different. And I think that that's what's so different about Uplift. Yeah, it's much. it seems like you guys are much more hands-on and you try and be relatable by using people of the same age to talk to exactly, these guys. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's impactful. You know, we were just talking about it yesterday that there's, there's something really powerful about seeing people that look like you, um, that can talk to you and, like, be vulnerable with you and kind of, like, exactly. give you that reality check. It's it's different than just like somebody that doesn't look like you that doesn't understand your background or your culture to come in and then tell you how you should live your life. And that's the amazing thing about what you would think that like Americans here in the U.S. have just so many different sort of are just so different than these kids in India. Mm-hmm. But what you realize is that when you actually begin to teach these kids and talk to these kids, our emotions, our experiences are actually much more similar. We still have the same emotions of anger and fear and insecurities that these kids in India have. And I think that's what enables, what, like you said, to, to build those relationships and to be like, hey, this guy is really similar to me. Right. Even though he lives 8,000 miles away. Yeah, that's it's like a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing to be able to do that and to have that with somebody. I just For sure. It. You guys yeah. just do the Lord's work. It's wonderful. Yeah, and nonprofit <laughs> or not, like you can really see the passion in what you guys do. Like you actually want to make a difference. You're not just trying to build another company that does something um, just to gain that recognition or, you know, eventually keep you guys financially stable. Like, you can tell that there is a purpose and you guys are doing exactly what you want to be doing and doing it well. So, great job, guys. That's really Yeah, and, I, and yeah. I think it's that the entire art, every person in the organization fuels each other to do more, to work harder, and to be better. And I think that's mm-hmm. what makes Uplift just become larger and larger every every day because 
everyone convinced everyone has these amazing ideas because we're just all so young and we have these crazy ideas mm-hmm. that in reality are ideas that we can put into place and i think mm-hmm. that our passion drives each other's passions and enables us to grow better yeah mm-hmm. and that those notions that people you know anybody else would think that are crazy that's why they work is because they're out they're outside of the box and exactly. That's kind of what will push you guys a little bit farther because you know when you have people that think that way, and then you bring a bunch of them all together, that just allows you guys to like bounce ideas off and let those things grow and and evolve into something like this. Yeah, yeah I mean, what we what we did, for example, last week was we had these strategy sessions, and and we said, all right, guys, what is everyone's craziest idea on how to solve a particular problem? And everyone came up with this crazy idea. Right? What is your worst idea? We said, mm-hmm. and then from that idea, we said, "All right, what is bad about that idea, and what's good about that idea?" And let's take the good things about each of everyone's ideas, put them all together, and see if we have some solution. And so we come up with these, mm-hmm. you know, different exercises mm-hmm. about, "All right, how can we, you know, here's our problem that we're facing in the organization, whether it be internally or externally." Everyone, give me your worst idea, and then let's dissect everyone's ideas and put it all together, and perhaps we'll come up with this compelling solution. And I think, I think that's how we're so different in the way that we think and we process that's just so different than every other company organization mm-hmm. um that that makes us so different it makes us better i love that i love i've never heard of somebody doing a like a strategy session that way that's such a neat concept yeah yeah that. yeah it's, it's it's hilarious it's fun everyone loves it and it really right. comes up with really good good solutions so yeah, and then you actually get results from it, which is a win-win situation. Yeah, well, because when you when you have like three new hires, right, kids mm-hmm. who are just out of high school or college, right, they're so they don't want to speak up in a conversation because what what is your worst fear when you're in a job, right? Like, oh, you'll say something stupid. Yeah. What I try to do is say, give me your stupidest idea, and then from there we'll realize, recognize what is stupid, what we'll is discuss, and what's good about it. And I right. think it, it, it helps people be more confident about what they want to say in a group setting. Mm-hmm. And it, it enables people to actually express their thoughts. So I call it the worst idea exercise. Yeah, it nips that in the bud, that, that fear right away. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I like that a lot. So I, I guess this is almost like along the same lines as the last question, but do you have a favorite moment at all? I know you've been doing this now for seven years, so that's it might be hard to pinpoint, but... Um... Maybe like yeah. the most recent. Uh, well, actually, my favorite moment uh, it was the second or third year, um, and what ended up happening was our team went back to India um, for our second year, and we were in the Times of India that morning, mm-hmm. and it was like uploading my returns again for a second trip, um, and and I guess we were in a, in a few local newspapers as well, and someone who we had taught the year before read that article and came back to the facility. He was released oh, yeah. at that point. Uh-huh. And he came back, and he's like, you know, um, I want to say thank you to you guys. And, you know, he's like, you know, if it wasn't for you guys, I would still be on the streets right now. But and but instead, now I have my own chai cart. And he's mm-hmm. like, you know, sometimes, some days I make less money than I do when I was stealing, but I'm much happier now because I'm making a living for myself. Mm-hmm. And I think that more than any sort of media credibility or more than any sort of politician endorsing us, I think it's those individual stories that drive our team to to work harder and harder because it really shows like, hey, we changed this one person's life. Mm-hmm. You could have been a horrible person on the streets, but now he's actually making a living for themselves and he, he learned something from us. And I think that was the moment where I was like, wait, this is working. Oh, amazing. Because before, like I said, the exams were results, but mm-hmm. now it's actually in action. 
or right. actually seeing the results play out. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely got to be the coolest thing because then you really are just seeing like the the direct fruits of your labor, especially when you have somebody open to coming up to you and saying something like that. Yeah. That's that's very cool. Um, okay, so I'll let Tiffany take this. Drum roll, please. Are you ready for the best part of the episode? <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. What is the best part of the episode? All right, so this is the part where we play a little game with our guests. Um, it's a little this or that type game that we have brilliantly okay. named this or that. We have five okay. rapid-fire questions for you. We're just going to throw them at you. Um, you're going to answer them. You're just going to say the first thing that comes to your mind. Well, okay. between the two options, of course. <laughs> Got it. It's not word association. Um, I'm really good at explaining this game, I promise. Um, and you can't justify it, and you do have to pick one. I have to justify it or can't justify it? You can't justify it. Oh, my. Okay, let's do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if there's something that's super weird, we might ask you about it later. But um... so, do you? So is the rapid fire the same for every person? That you no, it's not. You? No, it's they're... not. And are these customized to me, or are these just random new questions you guys have developed? No, nope, random. random questions. They will All not right, make any sense. Yeah. But that's kind okay. of the fun of it. Perfect. <laughs> okay. Alternative rock or hip hop? Hip hop. Board games or card games? Uh, card games. Okay. <laughs> Mullet or mutton chops? I don't know what those, either of those are. <gasps> what? Oh. Mullet or mutton chops? Mutton chops, yeah. What are those? Oh, your age is showing. <laughs> <laughs> you think I'm too old or too young? Too young, too young. Okay. 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 Um. Then I got another one for you. Another number three for you. Would you rather have the flu or take a flu shot? Uh, flu shot. Okay. Mm, okay. Nintendo or Sega? Nintendo or what? Sega. Nintendo. Trip or staycation? Trip. Nice. Okay, nice. That's it. We'll just do that. Yay. <laughs> Well, yeah. You've been maybe. knocked down a little bit for the mullet thing, but. Yeah, exactly. I'll Google them after we're done. Oh, okay. Gosh. <laughs> oh, that's cute. So, um, where can people find more information on Uplift Humanity? Where is some place that they can donate, or how can they get involved? So, our, our website is www.uplifthumanityindia.org. Um, we're very active on Instagram, we're very active on Facebook. Um, to donate, to volunteer, to raise awareness, to fun raise for us everything is on our new website we just launched actually um in september nice. um the new website is really new like it's really engaging it's really uh it shows our stories it shows our passion um it's really easy to work 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 through mm-hmm. um so anyone wants to volunteer donate definitely check out the website and what about your own work where can people follow you or find more about you where can people find out more about me i don't have anything cool <laughs> It's, like just, it. it's just the Upload website. The Upload website is it's me, and I'm the Upload website, and our entire team's on there. Perfect. I like yeah. it. Easy. Well, thank you so much for doing this with us. We really appreciate it. You are just awesome. Keep doing what you do. This is just, like, amazing work. 
I'm so glad that, you know, they have you out there and that it's been successful for you. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me on board. You guys are amazing people. I oh, love I you. love this interview. It's amazing <laughs> fun for thanks. a Saturday morning. So thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah. yeah. That's it. All right, girls, thanks so much. Yay, thank, thank you, you so much for being on. Have an amazing day. You, yeah? too. you too. Bye. Bye.